Hey folks, welcome back to the podcast. This is episode two of the spring season of 2021. First of all, I want to thank the lovely humans who have been jumping in to support this podcast. Folks who are pitching in to support accessibility through transcriptions and beyond that, of course, to support me and my work doing these podcasts. I really appreciate it. You can support me through buy me a coffee. You can support me through the direct PayPal link, or you can support me if you're in Canada through e-transfer to help make sure that the podcast gets out to everybody and is accessible across the board through providing transcriptions of every single episode. At the time of releasing this, we have funded uh, almost two full episodes of transcriptions, which is fantastic. The goal is to fund all six episodes of the spring season uh, through user support. So think about how much you've enjoyed the podcast. Think about how many episodes you've listened to. And, you know, check out those links and pitch in a couple bucks or a bunch of bucks, whatever feels good to you. You know, this podcast has been running for 10 years now. And there are, as of this one, 117 episodes for your listening pleasure. Imagine if you couldn't get any of them. Imagine if you had not been able to partake in any of this process. That's what making this accessible is about. So, once again, I appreciate you checking that out. Uh, again, I'll remind folks, if you are catching this via an email, specifically only of the episode itself, you're probably going to lose that service soon, and you should uh, switch over to a different method of receiving this podcast because Google is deprecating that feature. Uh, there's nothing I can do to adjust that at this point in time. All right, but you can catch us on Podbean. You can catch us on Google Music. You can catch us on Spotify and all those other great places. All right. All right, enough of me talking. On with the episode. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the Hermit's Lamp podcast. I am here with Jason Miller. Uh, Jason's been on the show a number of times before, including being a uh, guest spot with the Stacking Skulls crew. And, uh, you know, I really wanted to talk to them this time because I've been thinking a lot about the ways in which people uh, and the way in which they define themselves are important. And that where those definitions or those ideas are out of sync, that that causes a lot of problems. Not that there's anything wrong with being on one section or another of the spectrum of magic or religion or other kinds of things, um, but misunderstanding where you are and what you're going about, I think is something really uh, fascinating. And I think it's really missing from a broader conversation in spiritual and magical and, and occult communities. So, and, uh, so I thought Jason and I would talk about that today, but I guess let's start with, for those who don't know you, Jason, who are you? You know, what, what are you up to these days? What's, what do you do? Oh, well, these days I, I teach courses in magic and I, I write books. I just finished my sixth book. Uh, it's going to be called Consorting with Spirits and it will be put out by Wiser some point in the future. I don't know. We're still... I, I literally just turned the manuscript in a couple of weeks ago. 
Uh, but I teach the Sorcery of Hecate course, the Strategic Sorcery course, and and and, and an avid flaneur of occult social circles, and you know that's that. <laughs> so. I guess the thing that got me started, well, the thing that that made me want to talk to you about this specifically, because I'd already actually been like looking around for somebody to have this conversation with or deciding if I was going to write something and record it myself or whatever for a little while. But you had a post where you were talking about this tension between magical practice and like, you know, grimoires, golden dawn, whatever your kind of school would be like the structural stuff and this sorcery piece, right? Which is that like, I'm going to grab this twig and this branch and I'm going to rub them together and spit on them and say some words. I'm going to do a piece of magic that way. And how there's this like tension, you know, that you talked about between those two pieces and how the reality is, is that both are wonderful and both have their place but that there's a that there's a, a an apparent dichotomy between those, you know. Yeah, um, you know, I focus a lot on I call it revelation versus research, right? Mm-hmm. Like people uh, they have these either revelations from spirit or or even intuitions in the moment that don't have to come from anyone other than their own very magical spirits that they are themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there's, of course, matters of tradition and, and matters of, uh, of research and so on. And unfortunately, for whatever reason, mostly the internet, um, people lately they're creating dichotomies that there don't need to be like Mm. they're running these, like you're on team a or team B never. And and you have to pick a side, like you have to be on one side or the other to the point that if you're talking about something in the middle, people literally don't understand what you're saying. Like they, Mm -hmm. they don't like they'll think you're on team be when you're really on team C, <laughs> you know, like hmm. it's, it's totally outside of the box. And so this thing with tradition versus intuition or research versus revelation, uh, the dreaded, you know, UPG that people mm-hmm. talk about with distinct UP, UPG being uh, unverified personal gnosis, a, a very snide and usually condescending way to to talk about people having uh, spirits teach them things. Mm. Uh, and so it's all it all just falls apart if in practice, right? It all it, because these things can rhyme with one another if you let them, mm-hmm. right? So you've got the UPG people that, you know, it's sort of like, I don't want to read a book. And this really, this was an issue recently where like a group was said, Hey, let's read a book. And people were objecting to the idea because Mm -hmm. they like what the spirits teach them is what matters and nothing anyone could ever write in a book or say in the past should matter just what the spirits say. And then on the other hand, you've got people that hold something up as inviolate, 
as a primary source. It is old. It is in the Ars Goetia, Andrew. It's it's in there. It's in the Lesser Key of Solomon. Never mind that that was copied word for word from Pseudomonarcha Demonorum, which was copied pretty much word from word from Livre de Spirits, which you know has its own. And so it's. it's it's real authorities all the way down, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it, and and the thing is, everything is UPG when it first hits the scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so, but this is not new either. I mean, we ha- they have these fights in in Tibet, for instance, where the Nyingmapa like terma, which means a, a mind revelation or a mind treasure. Right or or a, sometimes a literal found buried thing, but they like terma because it's it's new. There's no telephone game down the centuries to get it all screwed up. It's from Padmasambhava's spirit mouth to the Lama's ears to you, and so boom boom boom, you're set. Whereas the Galupa like to know that it was in Sanskrit first like if it wasn't in sanskrit if it only exists in tibetan then it's probably garbage because you know so so we have these kinds of things play out for us and it's just sort of like it it needn't be like that like you can Mm -hmm. you can you should engage research and you should engage tradition Mm-hmm. Um, and, but if those, you know, any real engagement of research and tradition should open the ways for living mm-hmm. spirit to reveal itself Sure. and have a little room in there, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it's interesting for me because I spent a long time, you know, back in my earlier days doing super structured ceremonial stuff, right? Like, you know, every step, every breath, every bit of it was like, you know, we're working this planet tonight. We're doing everything, right? Right. That's it. Every level, right? As much as I could possibly muster. And they were the most intricately conceived ceremonies. And they were wonderful. And they did lots of things. And from a, a magical point of view these days, I don't do any of that stuff anymore. I couldn't tell you the last time I did a banishing ritual, you know? Yeah. I, I'm just like, you know, I'm like me. Me and me and me and my peeps were enough. I don't need to worry about anybody else anymore, right? <laughs> I'm like, and when we summon, you know, like uh, a goetic spirit and, and ask it to do some things, I'm like, I'm not worried. Me and me and the spirits that I spend time with regularly will make them leave if they're a behavioral problem. But we're not going to start with this formal like calling in the guard and so on, right? And certainly there was a time where I would have found that inconceivable, right? Yeah. Um. But I also think that it's, I think that somewhere in this process, you know, the other piece that I struggle with, right, which you bring up the, the Tibetans reminds me of my Lakumi Orisha tradition, right, where there are variants between lineages and, you know, do you follow closer to Ifa or follow to the Alochas? And, you know, like there's debates that happen and so on. But ultimately for me, that process is one of, of clear and inherent inherited structure. You know, and for me, because I practice within that structure, then that makes a hundred percent sense, right? Right. You know, and I think that this is where we get into distinctions between, you know, are you just doing sorcerous magic? Are you doing, you know, are you uh, a magician or are you being religious, right? 
you know, which is another, I think, important distinction with these and not just in regards to um, my practice, which is obviously explicitly religious, but also in relationship to what are you doing? Are you religious about astrology, right? Is yeah. astrology your faith? Do you believe in your heart of hearts that the movement of the stars impacts and shapes this and that if you connect with it and commune with it, right? In my mind, worship it in a way that you can reveal and understand all these things. There's nothing wrong with that, right? Like it's, to me, it's, none of this is criticism of any of these ways of working. Um, but I think that it's really interesting to sort of think about those things because I gave up astrology yeah, about two, three years ago, really two years ago, maybe. I was like, I'm done with astrology. I'm not going to look at it. I'm not going to pay attention to it. People talk about it to me. I'm going to be like, I'm not interested. And, I, and I'm going to extricate myself from it entirely. Right. Welcome to the club. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. Right. And, you know, if you're interested in my story about that, the podcast I did with Jen Zart, a number of episodes back, uh, we talked about it at length about exactly why, but, but I think that it's possible, you know, and, and when I talked about this stuff in a more public setting, right? The amount of people who came in and said, well, whether you believe it or not, you're being influenced by it. And I'm like, that's cool that you believe that. I get that. Um, but also that is your personal religious belief. That is not a necessarily fact of the universe, right? That right. is one structural model. So, yeah. In, in fact, one of the things that you could say the other way is that in, you know, the, the deeper you immerse yourself in a stream, the more it affects you, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, that's that's how bodies of water work, right? Like yeah. if there's a tsunami off the coast of Japan, I don't get knocked over because I'm not in the water. <laughs> yeah. um, so- And that's why like when you're doing, you know, when I was heavy into ceremonial stuff and to, to receive one of the grades that I received, you know, you had to memorize and write a test on 40 columns of correspondences to the tree of life from, from 777, which Carly's book on that stuff. Right. And the reason you had to do that, well, I mean, there's probably a few reasons, but I think one of them is it integrates that knowledge into your, into your system. You step into that stream in a way that when you encounter a thing, your neurons will fire differently. Right. Or your intuition will fire differently. Right. And, but then you get older and you ask yourself, do I want my neurons to fire in this way? Yeah, right. <laughs> so the answer is sometimes, no, I'm good. Yeah. I, you know, so, yeah, no, you know, I think, I think that your, your examples there are great and they, 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 they give this playoff too. For instance, everybody that I have known my whole life that is involved in, in really any ATR. And, and I've known people since I was 15 in, involved in ATRs. Yeah. Um, and ATR is African traditional religion. Right. So any of the religions from West Africa and their diasporic permutations through the Caribbean and Americas and stuff. Yeah. So there, there are traditions and there are protocols that mm-hmm. they follow but there are also huge amounts of open space for mm-hmm. the spirits to say, do this, do this for this client. And this for this person might not be the same spell or, or same sure. thing you want to do for this other person. Mm-hmm. And, the, you know, some of the, the differences 
can be really radical and, and border on, you know, seemingly almost like, well, yeah, no, we're not following this because you're not in Brazil right now. So, you, you know, so uh, I think that when you look at these things in reality, you don't have these teams that yeah. seem to pop up in the community now. It, it was natural for revelation and research to play off one another. And then, of sure. course, there's always fights. There's always debates over, is this valid? Is this not valid? Is this, you know, but never this idea that people would just be like, well, I'm team, follow the book no matter what. And I'm team, fuck books. Books are just holding me back. Mm -hmm. I don't even want to know what's in the books because... Mm. And so I'm seeing this now and I look around and I'm just sort of like, you guys are insane and you guys are insane. And like, can't you just see how this like mm -hmm. take a step back? And if you got into the practice, you would see how this can gel together. But yeah, you know, you have to too much, too much just doing your own thing leads to a mirror prison, you know? Mm -hmm where nothing is ever challenging because you're just exposing yourself to what you already believe. Yeah. Well, and I think that, you know, I, I also think that, you know, it kind of raises the like question for me always of like, where, what are people connecting with? Right. You know? And so when we're going to talk about, you know, if we're going to slide into talking about uh, personal revelation, right. You know, I think the personal revelation is interesting. And I think that, you know, in, um, in the ATRs and stuff, we'll talk about Ashe, right? Mm -hmm. You know, when Ashe comes in and you say something and it's deeply true because spirit moved you or something moved you or it was revealed in those moments and certainly in divination and stuff like we see a lot of that. Right. And I think that the thing is, is that, that, but where is that coming from? Right. And within the Orisha tradition comes through initiation, right? Like, you know, there's formal structure, you're initiated, so on and so on. And, and it um, not only grants you the license to do certain things, but it grants you access to more of that that becomes more shaped and trained by, by the elders who, who guide you as well, right? You know, and as part of this series of podcast releases, I'm going to be talking to my elder, um, about some of this stuff as well, which would hopefully be an interesting perspective as well. Right. But I often think of like, you know, that, that if we go back to like a ceremonial model, right. When you're, when you're leaving Malkuth and you're heading up into the, you know, wherever, right. And the first place you hit is the, is Yassad, right. If you're lucky yeah. and you're in the moon and you're in that hall of mirrors. Right. Yeah. And, you know, so often I, 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 experience people or experience stuff that people are talking about where I can't understand what, what they're connected to. I can't understand where it came from and I can't understand how it connects to anything else. And possibly that's my failing. Right. And please, if I ever, if I'm ever having a conversation with you and I say to you, you're listening to this and I say to you, I don't really understand what you're talking about. I'm really curious. This is not me attacking you. This is my curiosity. Right. Um, and I don't need to know everything or be right about everything, 
But when I see that none of those things connect, then I'm like, well, what I'm left with is assuming that you're in that hall of mirrors, right? Yeah. You're in that, that space where you're, you know, where the, the lower astral and your unconscious and your mind and your ego and stuff all dance around. And it's more like your dreamscape than it is something else. Right. Yeah. And that, see, that's where, that's where discernment comes in. And of course, in, in most of the Western magical tradition, we don't have the established elders and initiations in place that exist in the Eastern traditions and the ATRs. And even then some of those have only existed for, you know, a hundred years, 175 years, not thousands of years. Sure. um, In in their current forms, but there's, um, but so people need to, know that like if we're going to forge our own way yeah. right like if we're going to go into this thing there is no initiation for this for, yes. for for sorcery or for you know um they they need to have some kind of discernment in place some mm-hmm. type something there to deepen the experience and to analyze the experience and that's i think one of the big things that's lacking Mm -hmm. so for me like when i have experiences that present themselves as like you should teach this i'm sort of like why what why how what does it relate to exactly what you said how does this relate to the past Mm -hmm. and why is it you know what does it do and why is it good Mm-hmm. which is sometimes lost like well this is what it does and like and why would i want to do that and then people are like well i don't know yeah. <laughs> like why is this why is this a good thing mm-hmm. um so things like that happen so for instance i'll give you an example i i famously i was in nepal and i had this vision of hecate while i was meditating at pashupati which is where they burn bodies at the at the riverside. Mm-hmm. And she said, when you go, you're going back soon. And uh, when you do, offer me a supper and I've got something to show you. And so what I didn't realize at the time is that I'm not just going back to the States because you can't stay in Nepal for that long, but because I would in fact be turning back to a wider world of, of magic and not focusing on Tibetan Buddhism exclusively anymore. Mm-hmm. So I went back and I offered her this, this supper and she showed herself in this crazy form that everybody knows now from Sorcery of Hecate. And there were four guardians that I wrote about in Protection or Reversal Magic completely not related to her history right mm-hmm. one had a bull's head one had a horse's head one had a serpent's head one had a, 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 a dog's head and but i saw this very clearly mm-hmm. and it was not it was the type of vision where you you can look away right and it doesn't follow you it's not in your brain it, it's over there like you can look away from it and then you look back and it's still there hanging, you know, in that quadrant. So there was a reality to it that I couldn't ignore. 
but still in all, I was sort of like, okay, you know, this is interesting, make a note, but my rules are, is it actionable? Is it useful? Is it good? So it was actionable that these were spirits, but what made me finally kind of go, yeah, we need to teach this is somebody had pointed out, uh, they gave me a copy of Steve Ronan and pointed out that in the uh, Chaldean oracles, there is a form of Hecate that has these four heads, mm. a tetratic form of Hecate that has these four heads. So even though these are four separate spirits, uh, that was enough to be like, oh man, you know, that's an undeniable connection. Revelation and research are in rhyme. Mm -hmm. and they're not directly confirming. So there's a channel there that's real. And that doesn't always happen. I, I am always telling people, like, I receive stuff that I toss out the door because it doesn't meet the, is this actionable? Is this useful? Mm -hmm. And so I, that's why I published this um, post-gnosis checklist recently. Yeah. Like, like, this is, when we talk about these things, use some of this terminology to examine it. Mm -hmm. I think when these things are happening, you want to roll with them while they're happening, right? Yeah. But then afterwards, you want to throw it under and, and have some criticism and discernment. And Sure. I mean, I think that, you know, some of the things that were super helpful for me along the way was uh, there, there used to be back on some old listservs and stuff like that. I was involved in some Thelemic ones. And there's this guy, David Jones, who was there. And I never, I don't know much about the guy. I never met him, but, uh, but he understood logic and logical fallacies like nobody else and having, and watching him and engaging him. And I would ask him stuff and I would talk to him and we corresponded a bit and stuff like that. And having him say, well, that's cool, but that looks like it's this kind of logical fallacy or now you're creating a straw man or now da da da, and on and on and on. Right. That, that, structure really hammered in for me you know this this idea that we can be super biased we can we can have wrong thoughts and we can have experiences that maybe aren't universal you know i did a lot of enochian magic and a lot of enochian scrying and vision work and other things and i can tell you that none of those things even though maybe there are things that i could think about wrangling from those to teach and share they were deeply personal you know they were actually in my understanding of it that collection of spirits working on me and my consciousness and my energy self and so on but like the real do that is like well just do the enochian ethers and keep going until you stop and can't go any further and then try them again later sometime like go do some other stuff and then come back like that's the work of it I don't need to make that into Andrew's personal course about these things, you know? Right. So, and then I the have, other thing, so yeah, the yeah. other thing that I think was really helpful too, was I spent a couple of years doing Jungian analysis with somebody who was uh, from South America and had studied shamanism down there and was very magically inclined, but totally a, a Jungian analyst. Right. And the conversations that we would have, uh, especially towards the beginning of our working together, where I'd be like, I had this magical dream. And he'd be like, great, let's look at it psychologically, right? 
And we would go through it psychologically. And sure enough, on a psychological level, it revealed all sorts of things. Was there also a magical element? Yeah. Sometimes there was, sometimes there wasn't, right? Sometimes it's just my narcissism and ego, right? And and I think that learning how to sort of look at these things and see what remains, you know, and what endures, I think that that's so helpful, right? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Your, your mention of the Enochian stuff, um, that was that was a big one for me that was like, it produced... It produced visions aplenty, and and I I literally had at one point a book uh, that I had written down of of essentially like prophecies from one of the Enochian aethers, and I sat and I looked at this like three thousand fourth not three like like thirteen thousand word thing, which at that point was probably more than I had ever written on any yeah. topic ever. And I looked at it and I thought, who's this going to help if I publish it? Why is it good? Even if it's true, why is it good? Mm-hmm. And I couldn't answer that. Mm. So I tossed it. Yeah. And I'm so glad I did because absolutely nothing <laughs> came to pass from that encounter absolutely mm-hmm. nothing passed the sniff test um and so but yeah I, you know there were other things that i got out of enochian magic that i really got hit with i i bought uh an old copy A, a truly mystical heart experience. Sorry, you broke I, up for a second there. You, what's that? You broke up for a second there. The last thing I heard from you was you bought a copy. Oh, I bought a copy of Enochian Magic during mm-hmm. your your used book sale. And yeah. um, I bought it because I had it when I was younger and I did one of the works that mm. just The yoga up. book, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just op- you know, do I think it's a good book on yoga? No. I don't think it's a good book on Enochian magic. I don't think it's a good book on yoga. I don't think it's, you know, but yet this one exercise that I did with full faith and passion, Mm -hmm. it, it gave me a window into that, to what mystics talk about when they talked about universal love and so on. So. Well, I think that, I think that that's also another interesting point, right? So for me, the other thing that I've noticed that's sort of part of this constellation that we started this conversation on is under is seeing people who are like, I'm a magician, I'm a, you know, like I'm a witch and I work my magic. I do, you know, like, and lots of people are talking with these, this kind of language and that's great. Like, there's no problem with that. You get to, everybody gets to call themselves whatever you would like. It's no problem. But, um, but the thing that I would see is what you're doing when I say, well, okay, so let's talk about this. We're doing a reading. You have this problem. You want to, you want to talk about a magical solution. Let's talk about what your magic looks like. And their magic looks like, well, I go and I find the tree and I sit there and I like meditate with the tree and I connect with it and I dissolve into the tree. And then maybe I talk about what's going on for me. And then I come back and I'm like, all right. So what we're talking about now 
something that's being a mystic, right? Communing with nature, losing our ego, communing with a, a bigger sense of self, transcendental meditation, whatever, right? Well, we're not talking about with what I mean by magic, right? And what I might mean by magic is through conscious, deliberate actions, seeking to make change in the world, right? Yeah. And by the world, I mean, like, you should be able to knock on it, right? You know? Yep. And and I think that they're, they're, both are wonderful. And I think that people at different times experience both. Like, it's not an either or, like a lot yeah. of this conversation. But I think that if you're misconstruing that your experience of transcendental love is suddenly going to bring you the the lover you've been yearning for, yeah. Well, maybe if the obstacle was your lack of that experience, it's possible, <laughs> right? But probably not, right? Probably your your there are other factors that could be addressed magically um, if one were more, you know, sorcerously or ceremonially inclined to solve them. You know. Yep. Yeah. So people adopt these monikers and identities, and like you i'm sort of like let's drop the terms and talk about what it is in plain language like mm -hmm. just explain it like i'm five and that's when the identity collapses mm -hmm. right that that's when it turns out there there there's no there there i mean sometimes there's something amazing there but <laughs> you know and at times people will they'll get advice or their heat advice that is meant for one person and not another. And uh, it's not good for where they are. It might be poison for where they are. Sure. You know, this is not only true for magic, it's true for finances. You yeah. know, if, if I talk to you about a piece of financial advice that might be good for you and I, if we gave that same piece of financial advice to somebody that's broke, it might just make them more broke, yeah. you know? Um, so we had, there was somebody recently, they came on to a community and were like, you know, well, my head spirit, da, 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 and I was like, put the brakes on. What do you mean when you say head spirit? Cause this means something in a certain context. Mm -hmm. And then they'll be like, oh, well, if you don't like that, then my HGA. And I'm like, no, I want you to stop running for terms and explain it without the, the lingo. Mm -hmm. Like, just explain what it is you mean, what it is you do, what's happening. And then they kind of got down to the nitty gritty of it. But um, yeah, it, it's that kind of uh i'm a witch i'm a magician it i mean these these all mean different things to different people mm -hmm. i mean even those terms you know what it means to be a ceremonial magician to somebody who is in the thelemic golden dawn mode is completely different than what it means to be you know somebody who's in that solomonic headspace mm -hmm. no for uh, sure yeah when i really like the idea though of like deconstructing what it, what is it that you're actually doing right what is yeah. it you're actually connecting with right and i think that looking at that and and always like the question i always have right 
you know, especially because, you know, as a, as a priest in a traditional Lakumi tradition, right? My elders tell me that Orisha does not speak to the uninitiated, mm-hmm. except in ceremonies and through divination, right? And so when people have visions, they're like, I had this, you know, somebody came to me while they're like, Andrew, I had this vision and I looked it up and I realized it was Olokun. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like cool. I'm like, number one, I'm not saying it's not true. I have no idea, right? I would tell you that my elders will say it doesn't mean what you think it means. Um, but number two, the question is why? Why would you have a connection to that spirit that you've never had any connection with whatsoever? Yeah. Right? And, you know, and the same goes for like, you know, I've had like random angels pop up. I'm like, huh, I can't even remember ever seeing that name before. And I'll look it up and, and there'll be an angel, right? Or I'll look it up, I'll find nothing. And I'm like, and at that point, I'm like, huh, why? Why is this particular being going through all of that work to come and talk to me at this point? What What is the reason for that, you know? And in my, in my, I'll talk only about myself, right? But a chunk of that time, I'm like, I have no idea and it doesn't make any sense. And so I'm going to put that over in the column of stuff that, you know, I'm probably not going to pay that much attention to. If it persists and it gets deeper and then suddenly I have uh, uh, something that shows up like your Hecate vision with the four things and you find some verification, then I'll pay more attention to it. But I'm always like, that's cool. Time will tell what that means. Hey folks, I just want to jump in here for a second and remind people that the Hermit's Lamp is also a store. So I have an online store and an in-person store in Toronto that sells over 400 tarot decks, 300 kinds of crystals, and incense, incense holders, candles, oils, and all the magical goodies you might want for whatever spiritual practice you are up to. I think we have great prices on stuff. Everything is sourced to the best of my ability to be authentic. And we offer uh, pickup or in-store shopping when it's not COVID in Toronto. And we offer delivery just about anywhere in the world. So do me a favor. Next time you're thinking about stuff, drop by thehermitslamp.com. Check it out. See if we've got something you need there. Because I always appreciate that support. And, and in 30 years, that vision of Hikate appearing in Nepal is the only time that something completely untriggered was like, hey, magician, I have something that, I, that you need to do. Yeah. And sense wasn't made of it until later yeah. as to why. And then there got to be, you know, I understood why later, why me later. But that is literally the only time that that has ever occurred. Mm-hmm. There are times where I wonder, you know, it's kind of like, I don't know, it's kind of like people who look alike or personality types, right? Somebody can have a, let's say somebody has a dream of, a voluptuous, naked, red-skinned goddess, 
right? Who who is doing all this sexy stuff? Lucky them. Well, lucky them, right? So then they wake up, and then they call their friend or they they look online. Well, you've got like, okay, did they call their Thelemic friend? Because if so, then their Thelemic friend is going to tell them that Babylon has appeared to them. And now they're interpreting everything through that lens of Babylon. Why does Babylon want me? But if they called up their Buddhist friend, their Buddhist friend would be like, that sounds like Karukula. So now they're like, Karukula, why, who is Karukula? Why does she come for me? And if they call up their Umbanda friend, the Umbanda friend is going to be like, sounds like a Pombajira kind of experience. And they'll be like, so I need to go to Brazil. And it's sort of like, yeah, there's, are all three of these sort of red scarlet sex goddesses? Sure enough, there's probably a dozen others. Are they all the same being? No. <laughs> like yeah. with, you know, might there be some underlying truth that that is bubbles up within them? Sure. That sure. that is um but and is there a is there a spirit that they're connecting with? Right. That has some of that quality. Right. But isn't any of those things, right? And, and then, it gets, then it gets really complicated, as as uh, Jesse Hathaway pointed out to me one day. He's like, yes, but if Pumbajira decided to manifest as a Karukula Pumbajira, she could. <laughs> I uh-huh. was like, like, because, you know, that's how we got Maria Padilla and, and all these others. And I'm like, yeah, and then that gets even more complicated, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. But it's and not... I- uh, the people that it happens to habitually... Mm-hmm. that's the other thing where it's sort of like yeah and know. i think i think that there's also this question in those regards too right of like um and and maybe maybe yeah whatever i don't even need to put caveats in front of it there's always this question of um at what point why are you so open that everything's coming and talking to you yeah right? you know and for me it's like listen I don't want to hear about you after I've gone to bed. I don't want to hear about you when I'm not in temple or meditating or at my shrine. Right. And even then I don't necessarily want to hear about you. It better be important if you're coming into my dream. Right. But I not just be like a, Hey, how's it going? Right. But it'd be something very specific. And, and why, why all these other things? Right. And because I also think that there's this element, which whether it's because of people's uh, energetic states or maybe their uh, their practice of not having boundaries as much energetically. Like, you know, I remember like me and a friend of mine just working on like, all right, let's, how do we, let's, let's see how we can strengthen our auras and see what we can feel them and what we can do. And we started playing with this idea of like, how hard can you make your aura be to keep stuff away from you? Right. And, you know, and, and I think that, that there are a lot of things about this, but why be open? Why welcome it? Why always be looking why always be curious what's motivating you there and what is perhaps most importantly, the unconscious motivation there, right? You know, that is that, that kind of discernment that you and your friend had is it's yet another one of these things where people are running to one pillar or another. So you've got people that are in the, I must be open all the spirits love me. Mm-hmm. The spirits are 
are always wonderful. The spirits never lie. You shouldn't even question what they tell you. And then you've got the other lane, which is I must banish mm. the moment I wake up. I must banish everything bad with pentagrams and I must banish everything good with hexagrams and I must banish the, you know, I, and so you've got this kind of like, there are different modes. Like there's a regular mode of like, you want to be a person who holds spiritual authority, can control to some degree access to yourself, but still be open yeah. And then there are levels where like shit's going down. So now the armor's on, you know, yeah. I, I always call it people that are obsessed with banishing. I always call it, I said, you've got the Excalibur problem, like right. the 1984 movie Excalibur where they <laughs> wear their heavy armor for dinner and sex yeah. and everything else. And I'm like, yeah. at some point that's getting in the way. <laughs> well, you know, the thing I remember we were discussing banishings and we were discussing um, John D and Edward Kelly and their Enochian work. And those guys didn't do banishings. Nope. Right. They prayed, right. They prayed a bunch. And, and I remember, I can't remember which of the, the people I was hanging out with, or maybe it was me. Somebody in the group said, well, wait a second. So if we're doing the LBRP, lesser banishing ritual, the pentagram for people who don't know, it's a common practice. And, and we're using the archangels to enforce our circle. Do I even bother banishing? Like if I'm going to call Michael, do I even banish at the end? What's the value of banishing? If I, <laughs> I'm, you know, and so we started playing with like, well, what if we just do this as our opening, call Michael into the center of the circle and then say, thanks for the good time guys. See you later. What happens then? Right. Why, why are we doing these things? Right. And what has power over what? you know? And I think it becomes interesting at that point to sort of see those things. Right. And it's kind of like, you know, like I had a conversation with a client a little while ago where I was like, I really feel like you should talk to this demon. I think this demon's going to sort you out. And they're like, cool. Where can I go read some stuff about what you're telling me to do with this demon? And I'm like, I couldn't tell you probably nowhere. Right. Cause what I'm telling you is say some prayers, call this demon ask it what it wants for you to solve this problem, have a conversation, right? Don't be overly generous in what you offer as compensation and then thank it, you know, and tell it when you want it done by and then move forward. Right. And like, in a sense, that's standard practice, but in the sort of like not structured, we're going to banish you and control you and whatever you, it's something else, but it's also not like, I'm going to trust you and be fully open to you. It's like, we're haggling here. We're going to, we're going to, going to negotiate. We're going to come to an agreement, you know? And I think that that's part of that middle ground that we're possibly looking for, you know? You know, as I, as I wrote this book about spirits, there's a, like a running joke with myself was you could entitle every chapter could be subtitled just like you do with people. Yes. Because, like, once it gets into magic, people lose all their goddamn common sense yeah. for the things that they already do with people. Yeah. Like we have we have a certain level of openness with people. We have a certain level 
of close access of how we close access to people. We have a certain level of discernment of those are people I don't want to hang out with. And these are people I do. We have a certain level of these are people that I will hang out with or appeal to in certain circumstances. Sure. Police, organized crime, whatever it is. Yeah. But my, they are my not uncle. Right. Yeah. They are not the people that I want to spend every day with unless I want to get dragged into that world. And so all of these things that we've learned with people, these l just common lessons of walk softly and carry a big stick. What does that mean? It means you don't have to beat the crap out of the spirit and approach it all kinds of aggro uh, and, and assume it's lying to you. Mm -hmm. You know, the one of the biggest questions I got from people was like, how do I know? it's telling the truth. What names can I use to force it to tell me it, you know, the truth. And if I have its name, is it true that it can't mislead me? Mm. And I'm always just sort of like, if somebody came up to me at like an occult festival and said, Hey, Jason. And I turned around and I said, yeah. And then they threw a triangular cage around me and said, are you really, Jason? And I said, yes. And they're like, are you really? Yes. Are you really, really? Yes. Mm -hmm. By the name of Adonai, I demand you tell me your truth. And I went through all this stuff. I'm just going to be like, okay, well, now I'm fucking annoyed. <laughs> and, you know, you're going to say you can't lie to me if I use the name blah, blah, blah. And I'm going to be like, yeah, okay, yeah, sure, sure, we'll go with that. Yes, yeah. I really am, Jason. They'll be like, okay, now could you help me out with something? Right. Be like, yeah. fuck you. Yeah, so, I think I think that that this this thing, and and I think it's, I think that the thing that, so I've perhaps I've picked this up from being in the Orisha tradition and kind of stretched it into like some of the other spirits I work with, right? Because people are always like, well, which Orisha do I talk to if I want money? Which Orisha do I want do I talk to if I want love, right? Who's the Orisha who's responsible for love, right? And of course, inevitably Oshun's name comes up in that conversation. But the truth is, from a traditional point of view, whatever Orisha is willing to help you with the problem is the one who's going to help you with that problem. And while they may have tendencies and this and that and whatever, I will tell you that Oshun shows up to help me with all sorts of things that don't fall in the purview of their normal thing, right? And some of the Orishas who are like maybe more associated with, with this or that or whatever, they're not the ones jumping in and be like, yeah, I got this. They're like, no, no, the, the, Oshun's got it or Legos got it or, you know, I'll help you with this other thing. And that comes from that relationship, right? Like, you know, who's going to help you move, right? You probably don't, most people don't have professional movers in their, in their network, right? Yep. But they got friends who probably help them move, right? Yep. It's like that, you know? That's it. That yeah. it, the relationship is much more important than what column they're in. Yeah. And I think the other place where this sort of real world example versus like magical whatever gets really kind of wonky right mm -hmm. is like is when it comes to like doing magic or specifically for me i had a lot of conversations around when i started doing magic for people for money right mm -hmm. and i'm like 
Like, what's the boundaries of that? What are the, what are the moral implications? What are whatever? And, and one of my teachers basically goes, it's really simple, Andrew. Would you do that for this person in the real world in exchange for money? Then great. There's no, there's no problem. Right? <laughs> like you, you know, Andrew, that you're not a person who's going to take money from somebody and then take a baseball bat and go beat somebody. That's not your thing. So don't do it. Don't do it magically. You, you might between close friends have a conversation with those two people about their relationship, but between random strangers, you're not going to try and make somebody come and be with somebody else. Although you might choose to introduce them or play wing person or something. But once you, once you take it out of magic and put it into real world and say, Oh, what am I actually trying to accomplish here? It becomes really clear, right? It becomes really obvious in a way that gets, obfuscated by the language you know and isn't it funny it's it's but it's it's obvious but you know it also becomes a scary insight into people when they are willing to i mean i'll never forget the the person that called me up for a consult and they're they're up for a big promotion at work and there were two other people up for the same promotion. And I'm thinking, okay, so now he's good. He wants to know how to shine, right? He wants to know how to get this position, how to win over the others, which is fine. Every, you know, personal interest. Sure. No, the, 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 what they wanted was how to take out the other two people. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I can't help you. Uh, that's not at all how I would even approach this situation. Mm-hmm. And it, but it gives you, I, I came into this all the time. I, I remember one person, they wanted to have the glyph of like from financial sorcery for dominating relations. They were like, I want to get this tattooed on my throat so that everyone I talk to is dominating i was like wow what a shithole way to go through life (laughs) not to be judgy but jesus like is that really what you want um but it's clear it is what some people want so Mm. it's funny how you know i mean i'm sure you've seen it communities and they, they get all like you know they start talking about cursing like it's just nothing yeah when in reality anyone that's really laid a curse or two it's not nothing i've got curses i wish that i didn't do Mm. and and people that you know down decades down the line suffer that i can look back and i'm like yeah this is the part that their life went wrong and oh yeah that was right at the time that i interjected Mm -hmm. and so yeah yeah Yeah. Hmm. so language matters definitions matter get yourself some training and logic cognitive biases and some of the lovely stuff that's going on with like neuro stuff these days brain learning and the ways in which our brains actually function and yeah and if you have Go ahead. And learn and explain everything to somebody who doesn't know the lingo. I'm a firm believer. 
find people to explain your practice to that don't know any of the lingo or buzzwords. Yep. And if you can't, there's a good chance you don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a really good point. Hmm. Well, thanks for making time for me today, Jason. I oh, thanks it. for having me anytime. I can't wait to get up there. Tell me, uh, tell me where people should look for you. Where, where are you hanging out these days? Uh, you know, strategicsorcery.net is still probably the best place to get me. You find the blog there. And so if I've got anything major going on, it's there. Uh, I hang out on Facebook a lot, far too much. Uh, I still haven't gotten the hang of Twitter. And so therefore will, you won't find me on TikTok or anything. Uh, you know, who knows in this ever changing game of platforms where right. I'll be next, but for sure, if you go to strategic sorcery.net, you'll, you'll find the thread there to where I am, wherever, wherever you are, it'll come from there. Perfect. Yeah. All right, folks. Well, and I'm all as always at the hermitslamp.com. Uh, and on Twitter and Facebook as the same. Um, Come hang out. Let us know what you think. Um, Yeah, check out what's going on. Thanks for listening. All right, folks. That is the second episode of the spring season of the podcast. There are four more coming your way. Coming up is also going to be Susie Chang and Mel Malin. Uh, talking about esotericism and why you might be interested in that. Also, my bandmates, Stacking Skull, from our fake occult rock band, that is Fabeku and Aiden Wachter, are going to be joining me. I'm also going to be interviewing Maria Minnis to uh, talk about anti-racism and the tarot and their fascinating work in that area as well as I'm going to be speaking with my uh, Lukumi elder, uh, Willie Ramos, about Orisha stuff. All right. Thank you so much. There'll be a new episode next Friday. And please do consider checking out the links in the podcast and uh, pitching in to support the podcast in general and accessibility specifically so that we can make sure everybody gets equal access to this great stuff. All right. See you soon.